Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. The title of today's uh, podcast is Name and Embrace Your Season of Leadership. Name and Embrace Your Season of Leadership. Now, I'm sitting here in my third floor office here in Queens, New York, and I'm imagining you're sitting across from me from my desk and we're having a nice chat. So uh, this title of this podcast and theme comes out of uh, two questions that regularly emerge in my conversations with leaders, and that's this. After COVID, are we now in a different season? It sure feels like it. Uh, And how should we lead differently as a result? Uh, And the second question is, what are the seasons of ministry? Uh, And how does leading or pastoring change as we age and go through the decades? But actually, there was a third uh, reason for this podcast as well as I'm in my own season of uh, shifting and transition and uh, have been seeking to make sense of it all. And so I'll share out of that as well. So, uh, I mean, the season's theme is so large. I mean, there's the season of uh, globally, we're in a season uh, with COVID that hit us a little over two years ago and maybe four or five months uh, in addition to that. So that's brought a huge uh, shift in the church. So that, what season are we in? Then there's a season of uh, the ministry that you're leading. Uh, what season is that in? It goes through different seasons. And then there's personal seasons that we have. Uh, and they, of course, intersect, overlap, but they can be different uh, at the same time. So before I go into the answers to those questions, I want to frame, uh, put, lay a, a solid framework uh, for seasons, uh, biblically, and and uh, so that the answers begin to make some sense. So uh, Jesus talked about kairos moments, and so in, in for example, in two different places, uh, when he's in, when he's in approaching Jerusalem, he weeps over the city, and uh, he says to them, "If you if you only knew the day that would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes." And he says to them, "You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They they were missing this season." what God was doing. Uh, and then he says the same thing in, in Matthew 16 to the Pharisees and Sadducees. He says, you know, you, you, you can, when the evening comes and you can see it's going to be fair weather, the sky is red. In the morning, it's, it's going to be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. He goes, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the sign of the times. So again, Jesus is using the, the time, the, the, the word of kairos and, and of time of what is God doing uh, the word season is is, a, is a another very big biblical word uh, that we all could also use because the dominant biblical image of God working is that of agriculture and farming. It's the nature metaphor of seasons. Uh, it's such an important word uh, in scripture because it runs uh, headlong into our egos that want to be in charge. Uh, because when we get into the word seasons or the time of what God is doing, uh, these are outside of our control. Uh, and I think of the men of Issachar who understood the times uh, and knew what Israel should do, First Chronicles 12. And there's, this, there's this ability to name the season and embrace it. Uh, and the season metaphor is a, a very grown-up way to look at life and to lead. It gives us perspective. Uh, and it speaks to the reality that we're on this journey that never ends. Uh, it's very it's a rich journey. It, it, it doesn't deny the joys, the losses, the darkness, the light, the struggles. It's all there. Ecclesiastes is my favorite 
uh, passage around seasons uh, because it's so direct. Ecclesiastes 3, and I love the text. I hope you've memorized it, meditated on it, where it says, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. To everything there's a season, a time appointed for every purpose under heaven. In other words, there's no exceptions. Everything. Um, there's a time to be born, a time to die. And he kind of breaks it down at that point. The author does, in all of human life, there's a time to plant, a time to uproot. Uh, not just in agriculture, but in all of life. There's a time to start things and end things. There's a time to kill and a kill, time to heal. A time to tear down, a time to build. And there's a time for constructing and building. There's a time for dismantling. There's a time for endings and new beginnings, we would say. Uh, then it goes into uh, the whole realm of emotions. In, in verse 4, there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance. All of human existence. There's a time to gather stones and Gather them to the time to embrace and refrain, uh, time to search, uh, a time to throw away, a time to tear, a time to mend. And uh, again, this idea of a time to hate, a time to war. And he, he just, there's a discernment he's talking about and knowing what is the season. And he closes by saying, God's made everything beautiful in its time. And uh, he said eternity in, in our hearts, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, God's put in our hearts this this longing to discern and ability to discern eternity and what's going on around us. We're made in the image of God. At the same time, we never fully grasp it. Uh, it's revealed, yet it's hidden. It's like, you know, we see a fraction of what God's doing, but we can't see the overall picture. We can't see the grand design, but we can see pieces and um, we just can't see it all. We're not God. So again, to everything, there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So before we can name and embrace our season, uh, we've got to first recognize that seasons by nature are such a disruption to our plans and ideas that they are a call to surrender uh, to the living God and uh, to release the illusion that we actually are controlling things. In other words, we want to manage life ourselves, but we're not. There's seasons happening to us to which we're to surrender to, name and embrace. So I just think of so many biblical characters uh, who refuse to surrender to seasons, not just the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders. I think of Peter the Apostle, uh, you know, cutting off ears, uh, jumping out of boats, uh, speaking out of turn. Uh, he just he didn't want to surrender to the seasons happening to him as Jesus approached the cross. Judas did not want to embrace the season of autumn and winter that were happening to him as Jesus approached the cross. Um, Abraham and Sarah got frustrated with the season of waiting. Uh, again, it was like a winter as they're waiting 25 years to give birth to their first child. And so they take matters in their own hands and birth an Ishmael. I think of Moses, who was very... Uh, cooperative with the seasons until towards the end when he gets frustrated at the end of the 40 years and strikes the rock twice uh, and as a result does not go in the promised land but he doesn't embrace the season it's too it's extending itself too long for him and so he out of you know rebellion he strikes the rock twice I think of Saul you know making way for David to become the next king it was the season um <clears throat> He didn't like it. He didn't want it. He, he tried to kill David. He was going to keep the season. I'm the king. I'm in charge. Um, it doesn't end well for him. In fact, Israel did not have a king. All the other nations around Israel had a king. Uh, but they wanted a king for Samuel 8. 
But the season they were in was to have an invisible king. They were to be unlike all the pagan nations around them because their king was the Lord God of Israel, invisible God. So they had no great temple. They had no great visible uh, attachment. They were different. They had a God who fought for them, but was so it looks he looked so weak and powerless uh, next to all the pagan gods and the massive temples they had built uh, to them. But uh, they didn't like that season of surrender, and so they wanted a king like the other nations, so they got kings. They demanded it. I mean, how many of you, I mean, how do you respond when you lose your phone or your computer crashes? I mean, I, I again, I struggle with trusting uh, even my GPS sometimes. I, I don't like endings. I don't like new beginnings. I don't like seasons being outside my control. That's why that verse, to everything there's a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, is such an important text for me. I love it. So this this is serious, mature, leading, and life. Uh, and it's challenging. as It doesn't stop to being challenging as we move through the decades of life and leadership. And it's very different than how I was trained and formed as a leader. And I find myself still dismantling family of origin messages, as well as the culture messages, as well as the church messages about leadership. You know, I, I got the image of, you know, life's a battle, it's all warfare, uh, you know, kind of this constant state of siege and we're fighting. That was the dominant image, us versus them uh, against the evil one, or basically make it happen. You know, uh, life is like manufacturing, we can control it. Uh, you know, we do strategic plans and we make plans for the future. Uh, we invest in people, the language you use. We, we, we make time. We make a living. We make money. We, we get people off the bus and on the bus. Uh, we talk about people as resources and dead weight and liabilities or assets or dysfunctional word for machines. And so that kind of like manufacturing image, we, we, it's, so, it's so big, it gives, it gives a sense of I'm in control. But the season's uh, truth is all about surrender and letting go to something much larger happening around us, God, and we surrender those seasons. So let me just take a few moments and just briefly review the, the four seasons. Uh, you've got uh, you know fall, uh, which is a season of transition. It's a, it's a it's a season of dying and seeding for the future. Dying and seeding for the future. Uh, in other words, it's a preparation time. Uh, it's preparing for the cold and hard times coming. It's trees shedding their leaves in, in the autumn to protect themselves from the frost and the snow of the coming winter. It's a, it's a season of decline, a beauty, but decline. The days are shorter. The summer's abundance uh, is decaying as winter approaches. It's a transition time. Uh, that's what's key is dying and seeding. Seeds are going in the ground for the future. Then there's winter, which there's no visible growth. It's really a season of it looks like death. It's a demanding season. Nothing's visibly growing. Uh, nature's not dead, but it's gone underground. It's renewing itself for a spring. Something is living in the dying, uh, but it's a difficult time in winter because you can't see growth. Uh, then spring, it's fruitfulness. Begins slowly, muddy, uh, but with tenacity, these small and tender roots come through the ground. The days get longer. The gets weather gets warmer. The world gets green again, and then by late spring and summer, it's a great gateway into blooming, and summer is a time of abundance, a uh, state of plenty. The uh, forests are filled with undergrowth, the meadows and fields are full of gardens and yards, and all the promises of fall and winter and spring come due, and 
in summer, it's hard to remember. Why did I doubt if God would ever show up again in winter? So the, now with that framework, the, let's go to the questions. First question, after COVID, are we now in a different season? And people will say to me, it sure feels like it. And how do we lead differently today than we did three years ago before COVID? And uh, so I would say to you this, I, it's a very unusual season because it's a global uh, season and the whole church at the same time. Um, and uh, we're in a winter, I, I would say, I, I, I quite strongly, that we're in a winter season uh, in general. In other words, most churches have lost uh, 20 to 40 or more percent of their membership and, and attendance. Uh, there's a lot of new people showing up now, but lots of folks have have vanished in a sense, moved on to other places or moved away. There's a new, a lot of trends have accelerated. There's a new online reality uh, of a, a hybrid reality of church in person and uh, then online. It has changed church as we know it. Um, people's level of face-to-face interaction uh, has been diminished. Engagements and habits that were in of serving and uh, people, the way the church functioned has, in a sense, been uprooted. There's, there's a disorientation. Um, people who attended, it used to be, one of my early days, uh, committed people showed up every week. Might miss a couple of times a year. And, and then as a decades moved, it was like, oh, committed people showed up three times a month. And uh, now it's one or two times a month, if even that. And, and then he adds to that the political polarization that's uh, made that even more intense. But so there's a kind of a winter season where it can seem like I don't see the kind of fruit that we used to, uh, at least visibly. But I want to say to you, winter, God is doing a lot. He's doing something. In fact, not only can suffering, because it's, it's, it's been a suffering and a challenging time for leaders in all kinds of, whether you're leading a nonprofit uh, or even if you're in a marketplace, let alone a church, not only can suffering lose its sting when its meaning is clarified, it can basically become cause for thanksgiving when we mine it for the gold that's buried under the soil, under the rubble of pain and sorrow. There is gold in winter. Uh, and so the key for us is, as leaders, is to name the season. Again, I'm talking now in a large sense. We're going to surrender to the winter and allow that to deepen us. Remember, the cross was the greatest evil ever imagined. God is killed on a cross, and but yet it becomes the greatest good the universe has ever known. He's God. He's the God of resurrection. And winter is a gift, offers a gift of utter clarity. You know, you can see through the trees. The sky is clear. The sun is brilliant. The trees are bare. But winter clears the landscape, uh, sometimes almost brutally. And uh, it, it gets us to look beyond the surface. I, I can easily get fixed on surface appearances as a leader. Um, but the point is, in a winter season, something is living. It's hidden underneath the dying. Uh, the loss, the losses force me to discern meanings. I need things I need to learn and know. And here's one area where I, or a couple areas, I've been very clear that in this winter season we find ourselves are, that are meant to deeply transform us, uh, and and the way we develop other leaders and disciples in the future is the new scorecard for success. Uh, I I think we'd very much bought into the Western model of or definition of success, which is up and to the right. It's all about numbers, how many people are attending, how many small groups do we have, how many folks are in ministry, uh, how much money do we have in the bank. And it has become really clear that's not enough. 
Um, now, I don't have a full answer to give you about the new scorecard. Right now, I don't want to because I've still been pondering it. But I do have one key measurement that I believe God is certainly seeking to uh, birth in us, uh, into real, really flower in us. And that is that we no longer measure success by external measures at all. In other words, there's nothing external that gives us a sense of, oh, I'm a success. That no, we're not getting a grade from anybody from the outside or anything from the outside. Uh, in other words, I'm loved, I'm forgiven, I'm imperfect, and I'm being faithful to lead and love like Jesus and uh, pastor and point people to Jesus. And and I'm, uh, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a success because I'm, I'm living for him that he might uh, say, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. In other words, I'm so deepening. I believe God's invitation for us is that we so deepen our loving union, our relationship with Jesus, that we're actually free from what people say and think and this idea of external measurements. I'm not against, you know, us keeping external measurements, how much money's in the bank and how many folks are attended, but it doesn't, doesn't affect us, our sense of like, oh, I'm doing fantastic or I'm doing terrible. So when I say to leaders, I'll say to pastors often, you're doing a great job. And it's just amazing you're there. And please, you know, uh, and I mean it. Uh, but very few people can receive it uh, because we've internalized these messages that from our caregivers, our parents often, from our growing up, you know, that you're a loser, you're not enough, and you're not the best, you're good, but you're not the best, you're a failure, you don't know what you're doing, I, I you know, you can't do this. And then we got the culture's measurements of success, comparison, envy. Uh, so these connect with our early messages of our childhood. It's very toxic. It's very sad. It's very sick. And we end up doing things we should not be doing and making decisions that are not necessarily God's will. And I believe God's driving out of us uh, a very unhealthy way that we've measured success um, as a church and that we actually become the gospel that we preach. We actually live it. We live it. We actually model it. We're inviting people to be free and content and joyful, and full of life, uh, full of hope in, in, in Christ. And so we don't demand the glory of summer and spring without an autumn and winter. In other words, we say, oh, it's not winter, you know, and we may believe everything's the same. We're going for a revival. We're growing. We're getting numbers bigger. And we we kind of, we almost like fake fruit, you know, fake spring, because we want to make it happen and feel good about ourselves. Um, and if I try to make a life or make a ministry or make a leadership that defies the diminishments of autumn, and the death of winter, I end up living a life and leading in a way that's artificial uh, and working super hard and maybe not sleeping and full of anxiety, but not a lot's actually happening that's going to be long-term fruit. So I say to you, if you're struggling in the winter, what a mentor said to me uh, many, many years ago was God was bringing me, uh, had me in a winter, and I just couldn't see any any value of it. And I'm talking here like, you know, 26, 27 years ago, and he said to me, I was all depressed and anxious. He said, it's wonderful you're in this. He didn't say call it a winter. It's wonderful you're in this, you know, dark night of the soul. And uh, I want to say that to you. I really believe that God is doing something profound in you and in the church and in his work around the world right now. Uh, if we will but listen to him and allow, surrender to this season and let, let this season take us deeper in him. Listen, if you've never uh, downloaded this uh, ebook ch called Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision that deeply changes lives, please do so. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture. 
That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture because it gives a vision uh, of, of a quality of life, of what we're doing that transcends the seasons. It can be fall, winter, spring, summer, it doesn't matter, but we're going after a church culture revolution where we're after quality because quality will always win the day. And so imagine a church where every person is living a slow down spirituality uh, with Jesus and that leaders are not pretending to be something on the outside, they're not on the inside, they actually have integrity, that every member is growing in a beneath the surface self-awareness and transformation in Jesus where every person is learning skills to love relationally, especially the one people who drive them crazy, to love like Jesus. Imagine everyone leading out of their mar- living out of their marriage or singleness, and, and every person being in full-time ministry, seeing themselves as full-time ministry, regardless of what their uh, vocations may be, in the marketplace or at home raising children. In other words, we're building churches and ministries and uh, nonprofits of character, not external show and external show looking great on the outside uh, in our vision casting and on our, our weekend services, but everything's not so beautiful on the inside. Um, we want to be serious about discipleship, leadership formation, quality, uh, and that we don't worry about if it's a winter season. The numbers may have diminished, but we're concerned about being faithful uh, to Jesus uh, in the season and receiving his love and his affirmation. Well done, uh, good and faithful servant. And we know that he's planting new seeds that are going to come forth later. So again, download that ebook. It's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture, and it's called Church Culture Revolution. All right, the second big question I want to address here in this podcast is, what are the seasons of ministry that we go through as we lead or as we pastor and as we age? Uh, are there seasons? The answer is absolutely there are seasons. Uh, and I mean, in our 20s, we're, we're kind of like, you know, can I do this? Can I, can I, can I make it here as a, as a leader? Um, we're kind of figuring out who we are. And, and then in the 30s, we begin to wrestle with, you know, my, you know, my being, quote, a success. I'm trying to balance. Uh, very often, we're still finding our identity in, in, in what we're doing and at that age. And by our 40s, we're, we're, we're beginning to, to see, I want to get rid of things I'm not supposed to be doing. And, uh and I'm, I'm getting, I, I think, of Bobby Clinton's work, The Making of a Leader. Uh, he taught at Fuller Seminary years ago, a book really worth getting, The Making of a Leader. But he talks about the first, he spent his life work, just how does God make leaders? And he looked at uh, biblical figures as well as historical figures. And, and one of his great conclusions was that the first 15 to 20 years of us being in vocational leadership, uh, it's not so much what God's doing through us, it's what's God doing in us. He's actually having us go through tests. He's doing formation inside of us. He's it's him in us, and he's got to do this deep formation work in us so that in our, after 15, 20 years, um, we're actually bearing fruit uh, long term. And uh, I just love, I think it's one of the great, and he's a baby, you don't pass those tests of, of those basically winters of conflicts, of authority issues in the early years, you're not going to bear fruit long term. And, um, and I, it gives me the reminder of that mentor of mine who had told me many years ago in my early 50s that my best decade would be in my 60s, mid-60s, and my second best decade would be in my mid-70s, and my third best or fruitful decade would be in my mid-50s. And I, uh, that perspective, at the time, I really couldn't see it, but I, I'm experiencing it now. I'm in my mid-60s, and uh, this has been the most fruitful time of my entire life of service of Jesus. 
Uh, and I get it, I'm looking forward to my 70s, being even more fruitful decades. So you wanna get perspective of the big picture. Are there seasons of ministry? Absolutely. Um, and so it's in critical that we're discerning what is that season. So I, I have been surprised by the shifts in my own season uh, that have been significant. Now, I, I, after stepping down as lead pastor of uh, New Life Fellowship of 26 years, we launched EH Discipleship as a nonprofit uh, and never expected it to grow as it has. But especially in the last three to four years, um, it has been pure spring and summer booming. Um, and as a result, uh, and I felt this profound sense of God pulling me into a fall of dying and seeding, you know, seeds need to go into the ground. Um, and but it's been it's been a challenge for me to actually name the season and embrace it. Uh, and so I a few months ago I actually put on our website uh, an update on my external speaking and priorities, and I wrote that after a great deal of prayer and reflection, I've decided I will no longer accept accept speaking engagements, uh, whether in person or, or via Zoom. That was a gigantic. Uh, I'd, I've been declining for a, a number of years, but I actually stopped it because I had a deep sense from God to focus on study and prayer and the mentoring of pastors and leaders uh, through cohorts and then actually and, and, and a leader's course and then writing, in particular, an emotionally healthy marriage book and workbook and course, and to not be distracted from this work I felt called by God. And I cannot not do this, especially in light of diminishing time available to me. And, um, and I was just a great sense of certainty. So I did that. Um, but I realized it wasn't even enough. Um, and so even this podcast, which has grown, uh, again, talk about spring and summer, uh, has grown, especially the last few years. I mean, I, I think, I don't know, three, four years ago, it was 1.8 million downloads in a year. Then it went to 2.1 million downloads in a year. Then it went to 2.4 million downloads in a year last year. And now, if you could even imagine, we're on track to do 3 million downloads in a year. I mean, it's 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 grown so massive this emotionally leader podcast i it's been kind of a shock to everyone but yet i feel compelled to to slow it down and i'm going to go as of july to doing one podcast every two weeks not every week i'm moving to two podcasts per month every two weeks and i'm actually taking a a, a vacation sabbatical longer this summer through july and august uh, and i'll record podcasts this coming week for july and august um, in advance, but I, I have a tremendous sense from God to pause so that these seeds can go deeper inside of me um, because God is seeking to birth some new things. Again, it's autumn. I, mean, I, I believe I'm very much in a fall, going into a fall season where, where there's some new seeds God wants to put into me and to EH discipleship for the long term. And that's a whole other conversation. And so I want to invite you to the three core practices which to me are the three core practices um, that have been informing my silence and stillness and life for quite some time. Uh, they're found in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship book in the chapter, Follow the Crucified, Not the Americanized Jesus. And that is, and I want to invite you to do the same thing about naming and embracing your season as you think about what season are you in uh, right now. And the first is to detach or let go. In other words, to lose your life that you might find it as Jesus talked about. And again, I love Meister Eckhart's work on this. That's not a cold detachment, but a loving detachment, a loving union with God, which is our goal, a total surrendering, free of our self-will. So we, we're one with God and he can fill us. And, and so we're not trying to get the world to unfold a certain way. 
We're not resisting things that we think might be negative. We're not clinging to things that we think are positive. We're not clinging or resisting anything, but we're surrendering to him. We're abiding in an openness to whatever God's doing in our life, whatever season we find ourselves in, trusting God is seeking to be birthed in and through us. And we're just open to whatever season he's bringing to us, clinging to nothing, resisting nothing, accepting everything God brings to us. And I'm not defined by feelings or circumstances or history, but rather God birthing in me. Uh, And then I want to not just let go and surrender. I want to relax in Jesus. Uh, This is the first work of God, to, to let myself be held by Jesus. This is the first work of God, John 6, uh, 28 and 29. I want to relax in Jesus and I want to listen to him. In Matthew 17, uh, I don't want to make my own plans like Peter did in the Mount of Transfiguration. I want to listen to him. So again, it's detach, detach, relax, listen. Those are my three key words. So let me invite you to name and embrace the season God has you in right now, personally, and the season that perhaps your ministry is in, that you're leading, Um, He knows that you need, you need summer and spring, those times of fruitfulness, but you need falls where it's times of, or autumn, where it's dying and seeding, it's transitions, but you also need winters. That's where it can seem like nothing is happening on the surface, but actually God is doing a lot underneath. So again, let me invite you to uh, download that free ebook, uh, Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision that deeply changes lives at emotionallyhealthy.org, church culture. And I want to bless you with a prayer from Romans 15, 13 that I've been meditating on and memorizing. Uh, it's about hope. And I actually did a word study on every use of Paul's or oh, biblical use of hope in uh, the New Testament. It's both really rich. But it, Paul prays this. He goes, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit i say it again. May the God of hope, he's a God of hope, may he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that for you, that you might name and embrace the season in which God has you. So let's take, let's just take 30 seconds and let's be still before the Lord that you might name and embrace your season. Blessings, everybody. And uh, may, as it says in Romans 15, 13, as Paul prayed, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless everyone. Have a great day.